Today's reading comes from Acts 27, 1 through 12. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Andromatium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Eroticus, a Macedonian from Thessalonia, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to friends so they, they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again, and passed to the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. When we sailed across the open sea off the coast of Silica and Paphlia, we landed at Myra and Lyca. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days, and had difficulty arriving off Sinidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite Salomon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lassie. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was the day after the atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that your voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. Thank, this is God's word. Amen. Amen. Family, you can go ahead and have a seat. Y'all know y'all supposed to give her some claps. You didn't know half of the words she was reading. You would have been struggling, but my sister was pushing through it. Thank you, Edith, for blessing us, and you just kept on rolling. <laughs> I had to listen to it on, listen to the Bible online to make sure I was pronouncing a few of them right. We are happy to have you here worshiping with us today. If you need a Bible, these gentlemen uh, have Bibles. We want you to uh, not simply be thriving off of what we've said today, but actually uh, being fueled by God's word. And so while the word will be up here on the screen, we pass out the Bible so that you can uh, know where those references are. I want to do a couple of housekeeping tips. Uh, We are a church that wants to see you grow in Christ. And so if while I'm preaching today, if you have a question, you can feel free to ask it actually in this room. We just ask that it not be something personal. 
If it's, a, if it's a question about how something applies to your life, I'd love to talk with you through that after service or our elders would love to talk with you. Uh, but if you think it's a question that brings more clarity for the entire church, uh, then please ask it. Uh, I, w- I will also say that I don't know the answer to every question. So I may have to say I'll get back to you. But what we want you to do is leave equipped. Amen. Amen. Um, we are in uh, a time where our young people will be with us. And so we are asking you all, uh, as young people get a little fidgety, they need stuff, just be able to try to ask the Lord to allow you to focus. Uh, we want kids and children to not learn what worship is when they graduate out of a youth group, but to their entire lives have experienced worship and being led by their parents and what that looks like. And so we have at least twice a month where our children are here with us, seeing their family, seeing their parents uh, worship. And it, 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 it develops a reverence for what worship is. Uh, because I look and I see some of y'all parents give that kid the eye. Like, see, those kids are learning. I can't just act up any way I want to in here. There's something different about this environment. And that's good. For, for, for children coming up, learning what reverence before a holy God looks like. So uh, we thank you for that and invite you uh, to in, into that time. And lastly, uh, I want to ask, uh, lastly and most importantly, I want to ask you to join me as we pray because uh, most of y'all aren't listening to what I'm saying. If I can be honest, every other word is barbecue baked beans, <laughs> ribs. Chitlins. Y'all thinking about everything you was eating yesterday, so you are not even here with me. So let me ask the Lord to help us be fully present so we can get back to doing life with our friends, with our family, and grubbing. Will you pray? God, I'm so thankful for your presence here. I'm asking God that you would fill us all right now so that we may be able to, uh, in spirit and truth, just enjoy you as we continue to, to celebrate what you've done in us, in this community, and in time. We know, Lord, that we can't understand your scriptures without your spirit uh, enlightening us. So help us. Guide us. Lead me. Father, let you be exalted during this time. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. We enter into this text, uh, and if you are new with us, we've been going through the book of Acts. And so you're coming in on the 27th chapter, which means you've missed a lot. (laughs) Uh, But, and I don't have time to recap you in all of that. But what I will do is let you know where we are. And we are at a place where Paul has just got done kicking it with King Agrippa and a guy named Festus. And while they're asking him about his faith, he he doesn't go to defend himself and try to get free. What he does is in the midst of them in chapter 26 is he shares his faith. He's trying to see the king know Christ. And so the king and Agrippa, I mean, the king Agrippa and Festus look at each other and say, man, if this brother didn't ask to go to see Caesar, we could let him go because he's innocent. But because he asked to see Caesar, we got to send him. And so that's where we enter in as we are in chapter 27. We walk into into that taking place where they are now sending him to Caesar. And I want to read it real quick for you guys. And then I'm going to summarize it because most of you are looking at it and you're saying, I don't know what's going on here, pastor. 
And when it was decided that we should set sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking on a ship of Andromedum, uh, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. I'm going to pause for a second. The winds were against us. Now, family, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we get this challenge. We hear these words from the Lord. And he says there, he says, because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria to the end of the what? Earth. So now this man, Paul, is, is, is fulfilling this. Okay? He's fulfilling this. He's going to a place called Rome. And Rome is where it's happening. Rome is is the place where all decisions were made. Rome is the place where the king is. And so now Paul knows someday I'm going to get to Rome. He knows I got to get to this place where the king is. But let me ask you a question. Do you think Paul, if you've asked him, hey, Paul, you going to fulfill this mission? He said, yeah, I'm going to fulfill that. I'm going to Samaria, Jerusalem, I'm going to the end of the earth. Do you think Paul would have said, but I'm going to go in chains? Do you think he would have thought this would be the journey? People trying to beat me? People lying on me? Now look at me. I'm I'm headed there, but I'm in chains. He's headed to to this place, but but he hits a little bit of trouble. Look in verse 4. Look in verse 4. It says, in putting... And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Celestia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. So now, family, this is this is you've done this. You have been a person that said the night before I'm going to get set up. I'm going to get my errands together. I'm going to get everything prepared. I'm going to put the the kids' diapers in here because I know when I wake up tomorrow, I've got six different errands I'm going to run. And I'm going to bust it out. I'm going to run in here, take care of this business, then I'm going to jump over here, handle that, go to the bank. And before you know it, you're like, great, I got my plan. I'm set up. This is about to happen. You go to stop number one, run smooth. You get out of stop number one, get locked up in gridlock traffic. I mean, you ain't going nowhere. You played about eight songs on your CD. Still, same spot. And what happens? Most of us, if it's, in a, if it's a place where we're familiar, we create a detour. I'm dumping off at the next exit I can get off because I cannot sit in this any longer. And now you create a new little route. Still trying to get to those same places, but there's a new route. See, that's what's happening here. There's a plan that these men have for how they think they're going to get to Rome. But there's something that changes their plan. What is that that in verse 4? The wind. 
The wind. The wind. That, that, that should be a, a peak for us. That should, that should like spark something that reminds us of, of, a, of one who is great. If you could turn to Matthew chapter 8. And it'll probably be up on the screen too. But there's this situation that takes place in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to start with verse 23. And we're going to hear this. We're going to hear an example of, of, of the wind and, and, and who controls the wind. It says, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves, what? Obey him. You see, this is not just a list of random places that, that, that Paul is going and just a, a, a little list thrown together of some happenstances that, that take place upon this journey. This is, this is Paul being guided by a God who was in control and who said, you have a timeline that you think is going to happen, but I'm in control of the wind. I'm going to get you there. But it's going to be a whole different path that you expect to you expect to see. You expect to there's going to be a whole different journey, a whole different route that's going to get you there. So let me ask you guys a question. All right. And my, my mama's here. So she, she, she reminded me of some of my my Baptist past. So y'all going to have to hang with me because uh, um, I wonder if Paul went through this experience. What makes us think? Where did we get the idea that God's sovereign will means we get to chill? That his sovereign hand means that we don't have to plan. Let me hit y'all with another little rhyme. That him being the heavenly host, continuing with that water theme, means we get to coast. <laughs> that was corny. My wife going to give it to me later. <laughs> But somehow we think that sovereignty is like, oh, God got it. He in control. And therefore, that means his control is going to be simple. But no, we see here his control detours and sends them on, on paths that add time. Takes their little errand list, their little plans and throws it out the window. What you think you're getting done today? Six things, you're getting one and be happy. You see, Paul's life shows us that a life living for God is a life of abundance while a life filled with adversity. So God uses the wind to get them where he wants them to get in his timetable. But I need to take a moment to share a little bit of my story because I've, I've experienced this first, firsthand. You see, I stand before you as, as one of your pastors and I'm blessed to do that. But my journey here wasn't the way I planned it. See, I went, to, I went to college for four years in Dayton, Ohio. Graduated college. Went to grad school in Columbus, Ohio for two years. And at the end of being there, 
uh, as my friends were stepping out and entering into a process that would allow them to secure jobs as a result of our studies, the Lord gripped my heart and said, you're going to find no greater joy, Leon, than serving me full time. I know you think that this degree was for something, but don't worry about all that. What you need to worry about now is that I want you. And so I said, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I need to be equipped. And so my thought was cool. I'm just going to, I'm going to take a summer off and I'm going to go to seminary. So I applied to seminary, a place where they kind of, kind of help you learn how to read the Bible to a deeper degree. It's not required, but for me, I knew that I didn't know nothing, but my little, I didn't know much and I needed help. So seminary was for me. And then going and applying, one place said, nope. I don't care about your degrees. Nope. Denied. Another place says, hey, we accepted you. I'm like, great, okay, cool. Uh, Where am I staying? Staying? Oh, we we lost your housing application. Didn't work out. All types of crazy things happen along the way. And so I end up back in my mama house. Mm-hmm. That hot attic that I left six years ago. <laughs> I'm back there. And so it was, it was there that the Lord was breaking me of some things and doing some things. But you know, it was there that I cried a lot. Because I didn't understand what God was doing. And, and while God was, was redirecting my path, he allowed two things to happen that were amazing. One was probably during the roughest time that I've experienced with my family. I was able to be present with my family when my grandmother passed away. I don't know about you, but I thought my grandma was living forever. I I couldn't envision her not being with us. God allowed me to be there. And then second, the Lord lined it up so that I could meet my amazing wife. Broke as a joke. All I had was debt. And she said, yeah, I'll still marry you. (laughs) Praise him. Yeah, come on now. (laughs) But family, my, 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 if I would have planned it, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have written the story that way. But God's sovereign hand was upon it. And now I'm blessed to stand before you and serve with amazing people who want to grow in Christ. But the journey wasn't smooth. And as I look out at you guys, I don't know everybody's story, but I know enough stories to know some of you are here from some pain. If you would have wrote your story, you wouldn't have walked through those doors in the way you did. Some, some lost houses. Some, some had, have lost family members. Some have gone through divorces. Some have, have been uh, bankrupt. All, so many things. Some have, have had to quit jobs because of unhealthy environments. Some have been sick and still don't know what's causing my sickness. But yet you are here and you're saying, Lord, I wouldn't have come to Macab like this. But you're doing a work in me here. You're doing a work in this community. You're growing me as an individual. I, I, I know that the God is good because while I'm struggling, I'm also growing. 
And so this story is not yet done in you as it's not yet done in me. And we're going to see even from where we stop the story in these verses, we got to continue on because this I'm thankful for a series because I don't have to preach the whole chapter. I just give you a little bit. We coming back again next week. So you got to come. Ah. Um, <laughs> but what I want you not to miss, don't miss sov- God's sovereign hand upon Paul in the midst of heading to do what God called him to do in Acts 1 and 8, he goes. But he goes with some adversity. And you, me, we experience adversity at times. But his sovereign hand is still guiding us. So now we go. We continue on. And when they had sailed the open sea, verse 5, along the coast of Cilicia. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm back in Acts 27, verse 5. And Pamphylia, we came to Myra in uh, Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of uh, Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty uh, of Sinaitis. And the wind uh, did not allow us to go farther. We sailed under the lee of Crete of uh, Salome. Uh, coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Even the fast was already over. Even the fast was already over. Now, this term, the fast, is a term that's re- referencing the Day of Atonement. And And while you don't understand it here, we have a phrase in English today that relates to this greatly. It's three words. It's called, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Okay, kids, where where are my young kids? Little kids, raise your hand. Because I want to know if you're listening. Ah, see that daydream. Little kids. Okay, so little kids, if you are playing out at your house... And the ball goes into the street. What's the first thing you do before you get the ball? Look both ways. Come on. Everybody knows that, right? All right. My youth, you in the house, youth. I don't see a lot of my youth in here today, but y'all can feel me even if you're not youth. You were youth one time, all right? You know, you, you're in the house, you're washing the dishes like mom said. And the volume on your radio is low. But then your jam comes on. I'm talking about that jam that was made just for you. You know what I mean? It comes on. What do you do? Turn it up. Everybody knows that, right? Come on, you turn it up. My adults, you got, you got, you got, all you have is $100 in your pocket, a $100 bill. You pull up to the gas station, you got to get gas. You go in, you give the, 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 the attendant the $100, he gives you your change back. What's the first thing you do? Count your money. <laughs> that brother give you a 10 and four ones, you better check your money, you know. Hey Amen. everybody knows that. You see what, what Paul is saying here with the Day of Atonement? He's saying, look, after the Day of Atonement, the waters get crazy. It gets shut down. Everybody knows you don't try to make this trip that you guys are suggesting after the Day of Atonement. That ain't even passed. So, so, so why take this risk? 
when we're going to be the lone soldiers trying to get the cargo to where you want to get it. It's not worth it. And so in verse, uh, verse, uh, verse 10, we continue. Sirs, no, excuse me. At the end of verse 9, Paul advised him saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss. Not only the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest, southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, Macav, I want you to know that the, the heart of this text is about God's sovereign hand. I'm keep repeating that. But I want to take a few, a few moments to look at some of the character of the individuals along this journey because I believe we can learn a lot from their character. Amen? I don't think when Paul wrote this, his main aim was that you would see what Aristarchus does and you would just do that. I don't think that's his aim. I think his main aim was that you see God's sovereign hand in control of all things. But I also think we can learn from the character of individuals along these along this trip. And the first one I want to look at is the Augustan cohort found in verse one. This cohort was under Julius. Now, these, the, you got to imagine this is almost like. Mm, sorry, Ethan. Ethan just took a big trip from Kentucky, y'all. But this is almost like like a Greyhound bus. You see, a Greyhound bus is big. On the bottom of the Greyhound bus, people are shipping stuff. Okay? So you got a space where you can put your luggage, but that's only the first two bays. The other nine is for shipping. Okay? Now, you get on the Greyhound, you got a little bit of everybody. You might have, you know, somebody that has a white collar for life. Somebody has a hard job for life. You might have a drug dealer on there. You might have an evangelist. It's a mix. The same here. See, this boat was leased out and they say all come so when festus is is hooking up with julius he's saying hey julius you just came from italy from rome you took a trip to drop off some stuff you headed back go ahead and take these prisoners so you got prisoners on board you have grain on board you have some people just catching a ride on board and everybody's got their own motives but you need somebody to keep the peace Kind of make sure everybody's chill. Because you can't have a brother just getting mad and throwing the rice overboard. You know what I mean? You got to have somebody keeping the peace. And so that's the Augustan cohort. And they're, they're pretty much kind of calm. They do what they're told. They stay in line. They listen. They don't really ruffle the waters. But, but, but I bring them up because I think... That within Christianity, we can begin to have some people in this room slip into the, the Augustan cohort. You see, you're not really like 100% willing to die for the king. You're not really 100% committed. You kind of fall into the background. You do as you're told. You're kind. You're nice. But, 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 if, but if it came down to you having to make a choice... Jesus isn't your all. 
And it's a dangerous spot to be in where you, when you fade in to, to the masses, but you know your sole commitment isn't to Christ. I bring them up because I, I want to I prick your skin a little bit. If you fall into this camp, Christ desires your all. Hear me here. Mac wants to be a place that encourages you, grows you, challenges you. But Mac cannot be your Christ. So you can serve here as much as you want to. We would love you. We were blessed by you. But we can't be your Christ. See, he wants your all. So then we move on to our next brother. Brother Julius. And you see uh, in verse 3. It says, the next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go out to his friends and be cared for. All right. Now, hold on. Julius is in charge. He's over the boat. He's not the captain, but he, he's, he represents Rome on this boat. So he's the man that's in charge. Look at how he treats Paul. He takes Paul and says, look, Paul, we're going to pull over here aside him. I'm going to let you get off the boat with your homie and go into town. Can you come back? Kindness, trustworthiness. Let me ask you a question. If you were a bounty hunter, if you were a cop, if you just caught a brother, pulled off at Wendy's, do you, do you say, hey, man, I'm going to take these cop, take these cuffs off you? Go on in there, get you a sandwich and come back. Would you, would, you, would you be that kind? Would you extend that type of generosity unto another person? I struggled with this. Because Julius isn't even, we don't know if he's a believer or not. We don't know his brother loved Jesus or nothing. All we know is he said, you know what, Paul? You've been preaching this gospel on the boat. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to do something I'll never do. I'm going to say, go on into town, man. Come back in a day. Let's kick it. Because everybody on the boat fended for themselves. You, there, there was no cafeteria. What you came on the boat with sustained you. So you needed food. You needed maybe a bat in case some brothers try to, try to take your stuff. You, you needed to be equipped. And so what happened was Paul went into town, was cared for by the Christian church, and they probably cleaned him up a bit, Paul. Here, man, we're blessed to see you. Loaded up his sack with grub. Hooked him up so that he could endure and be able to make it. And he came back. What kind of kindness is this? What kind of generosity is this? But I ask you, in the place where you spend most of your time, would the people there say that your character is one of generosity? Is your character one of kindness? Would someone say that about you? Would they say, yeah, it works hard, you know, diligent, um, bust out his work, extremely smart and kind and generous? See, we don't know Julius's role. We don't know, like, if he loved the Lord or not. What we do know is we are believers. We don't have an excuse for being able to say, well, I don't have to be kind because you, you should see the way they act. <laughs> If you knew my work environment, Leon, you would know I have to be, I got to be hard. I have to be callous. I I have to be short with people. This brother was willing to lose a lot by extending generosity. 
It could come at a cost. At times, I believe it's worth it. And so Julius extends this kindness and generosity, which I believe we are called to extend as well. But lastly, we come to, a, well, excuse me, next we come to Aristarchus. Now, Aristarchus gives just like a couple quick lines, but look in verse 2. Where does it say that brother's from? Macedonia and a place called what? Thessalonica. Now, that should raise some drama for us, right? Okay, go, um, Acts 17. Thessalonica, and I'm going to give it to you quick because it's hot in here and y'all fading. I get it. I get it. I'm sweating too. Okay? So Thessalonica, this is a spot where Paul goes. He preaches the gospel. He starts talking to people. The people say, a couple of us want to love you. And then the rest of them say, we're going to riot in this mug. Look at what it says in, uh, in, in uh, chapter 6. Um, excuse me, chapter 17, verses 6. This is what happens to the people that are just cool with Paul, that are friends with Paul. Okay, it says, but when they did not find them, but when these the rioters that that blew up their own town in Thessalonica, when they could not find Paul, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the officials shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world. Now, come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let him go. So Paul escapes them, goes to Berea, starts preaching in Berea. And guess what the homies in Thessalonica who rioted in their own town do? Come to Berea. Start causing drama in Berea. And start trying to agitate people there. I think it's in verse 13. Why, Why do I list this? Because this brother is from Thessalonica. And what he's saying is, Paul, you're a man of character. You're a man of Christ. I could go back home and get beat down for loving you, for traveling with you. But I think it's worth it. So I'm not going to go with the masses. I'm not going to trust what everybody else says. I'm not. I'm even willing to put myself in harm's way. To align with you being a godly brother. So, so uh, my, my young people, even if there's only one here, be encouraged by this because, because, so we ask, we can sometimes ask you young people to, to make decisions that we didn't do when we were younger, okay? We wasn't always loving Jesus, and then, you know, somehow we just separate ourselves. So we'll be like, hey, don't hang with the cool people. Only hang with the people who are really religious. You know, we'll ask young people to do these things that you know you tried to hang with the brothers that could dance. You know when you were young, you hang with, tried to hang with the athletes or the cool people. So let's, let's communicate in a way that encourages our youth. But youth, as you see this, you don't, you don't want a person that, that is worldly real. See, worldly real is a person who will just... Uh, do what you tell them, support you, say, support you in your stupid ideas. You know, you don't want a person that's going to be, uh, uh, an accomplice. See, an accomplice will help you indirectly or directly. You want a person that's going to stand for God's truth. 
They're going to love you enough to say, oh, you want to do what? You want to go where? I'm offended that you would even ask me to do that because I love Jesus and it's stupid for you to try that. You see, you want you want people who are going to be friends that are willing to base their friendship and their sacrifice and commitment to you based on who God is. Aristarchus does this. He pauses for a minute and say, I'm going to look at the cost. You, you think he didn't have family back in Thessalonica that were like, you riding with Paul? How dare you? As we was praying today for, some, for a brother that, that um, somebody wrote a prayer request, for a brother that said uh, he was a Muslim that's getting baptized today. You don't think he's about to go through some type of, some type of turmoil within his family? Let's be praying for this brother. But friends, how do we select our friends? I think Aristarchus is a good, a good image for us as, as he's willing to say, man, for Christ, for you, Paul, I will ride with you, even if it means persecution on my behalf. And lastly, I want to get to Paul. Can you turn to uh, verse 9 with us? And still in chapter 27, verse 9. Since much of my time has passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with you, uh, will be the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo of the ship, but also of our lives. Paul was a man that realized that this voyage was going to be dangerous, but he was a man of humility. Humility. I want you to, I want, and, and what, is, what is humility? Humility is, is when you can be the smartest person in the room, but everybody doesn't know it. Because you haven't forced everybody to know it. You see what I'm saying? It's when, it's when you have the ability to, 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 to out convince everybody in the room, but you don't put down that trump card so that every time it's got to be your way. Look here, look at 2 Corinthians eleven twenty five, and it's coming up here so you don't have to turn as much. But, but I want to give you some insight into what Paul experienced because he could have threw down a trump card. This, 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 is, this is what Paul went through. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was what? Shipwrecked. A day and night I was adrift at sea. So right now, I'm having these discussions with you, Julius, and you talking about trying to go for it through the storm. Brother, I could tell you, I hung on to some wood in the water for a whole day. You want to talk about shipwrecked? I'm a pro three times. Now, you know, you know, if, if, if you get into three accidents, your insurance get taken away from you. Try to do it for a living. Let, let, let a bus driver get into three accidents, lose his job. You, you think that this sailor had been through three wrecks and the, and the Roman uh, government said, oh, that's okay. It was just a whole ship of grain. Get him out there again. No, this brother didn't. I'm a, we're assuming this brother didn't have shipwrecks experience like Paul did. But Paul doesn't bring that up. He doesn't trump the argument. Notice, does, does Paul demand them? Does he command them? What is, how does he introduce 
this, his whole proposition. How does he introduce it at the end of verse 9? Does he command it or Paul does what? He advises. Some of your verses say, uh, some of your versions might say he warns them. Taking the posture of humility. Hey guys, um, you know, I see y'all about to try to make this voyage and uh, just want to bring something to your attention. I don't know. Uh, we might die. <laughs> and you care about the cargo. You in this for the business. We're probably going to lose all this cargo. But I'm just saying, do with that what you want. He, he, he's not coming in here as, as trying to force them. He's showing a posture of humility. What does that look like for us? It's not a lot of stuff that we, that we become really proficient in, really like clear in, but you sometimes get that one sliver of information that you know really well, and now can't nobody tell you nothing. Come on, Robert. Robert's a great cook. You know, I walk up in there, try to talk to Robert about some cooking. I don't know what I'm talking about, you know, but his brother with humility will be like, mm, maybe, Pastor, while I'm burning eggs, you know, you just... What, what, what does humility look like for you? What does it look like for us? This is, this is Paul. And we see how the rest of it's going to play out when we come back next week. But, 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 but is your character one of generosity? Is it one of kindness? Is your character one of humility? You see, God's sovereign hand is guiding all of us. And I wouldn't, we wouldn't have, have guessed that our journeys would have got us here today the way we did. But we're thankful. But along that journey of God's sovereign hand, he desires a character from you. He desires kindness. He desires humility. And he will equip you for it. I want to leave you guys with a, uh, a quote from... From, well, actually, I have two things I got to say because I almost made a mistake and didn't land where I wanted to land. Can we go to Philippians chapter two? Because this humility, this humility was not something that we could do in and of ourselves. This humility was modeled by Christ. And we start in verse three by in Philippians chapter two, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in what? Humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own. For his own purpose, that's that's in some of your versions, it may say for his own advantage. You don't think Jesus could have been in the midst of the Pharisees and said, oh, y'all struggle with the intellectual side? Let me, let me rock it with an intellectual component so that everybody's saved. You don't think y'all struggling with miracles? Let me do miracles so that everybody's saved. Jesus at any moment could have convinced all of us that he was God. All of us. No man. But what does he do? He humbly says, I, I do call people to me, but you know what? I give you the chance to respond. So if Jesus, the God of all, shows us great humility, not trying to force his hand for the advantage, 
then how dare we not be a people of humility? I'm not saying be a people of low, being low value. Don't, I'm not saying view yourself as less than everybody else in the room for Jesus' sake, and meaning like you're not valued as much as them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be humble as Christ was humble, even as verse 8 says, to the point of death. The source of this, this last uh, story that I have, uh, the source is unknown. But, but, but here, uh, this reflection. In the frigid waters around Greenland are countless icebergs, some little and some gigantic. If you'd observe them carefully, you'd notice sometimes the small ones flow and they move in one direction, while the massive ones, their counterparts, flow in another direction. The explanation is simple. Surface winds drive the little ones, whereas the huge masses of ice are carried along by deep ocean currents. When you face trials and tragedies, it's helpful to see our lives as being subject to two forces, surface winds and ocean deep currents. They're both operating simultaneously with the gusts and gales is another force that's even more powerful. It is a sure movement of God's wise and sovereign purposes and his deep unchanging love that has to be what girds us as people, that undergirding current. And notice, between both, both the large and small experience the wind. The wind tosses both. I mean, excuse me, the wind blows against both. But it doesn't control the direction of the larger iceberg because it's girded by an undercurrent. Some of you are sitting here today and, and life is crazy for you. But you're also, you're also, you can be one person who every time life gets crazy, you're tossed back and forth. Oh, there's a new situation. There's a new situation. And some of you are girded by who Christ is in your life. And as those same winds come, it doesn't rock the fabric of who you are. Didn't say it doesn't hurt. Didn't say it's not challenging. But it doesn't sway you off God's sovereign will, his course for your life. We want to invite you into experience a God who does have a plan for you if you don't know him. He does have an end point, a purpose for you. But we have to submit to it. And if you are not submitting to it, you will continue to be tossed to and fro. We invite you into experiencing Jesus Christ. Family, we are, we are now going to take a time to pray. And we are going to have the, the worship team come up. And then we're going to take a time of communion and time of tithe and offering. But let me just let me just pray for us. Jesus, it is your sovereign will that we want to submit to. We tried to plan it out. We tried to work it in and we realized our plans aren't as good as yours. <laughs> so help us to submit our ways to you. God, would you allow us to be people who have character that models humility? 
character that is kind and generous unto others. Lead us to make a decision for you where you have our entire hearts. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.